Welcome back to Teaching Matters, the University of Edinburgh's hub for discussing, promoting, and showcasing teaching and learning around the university. We are a website, blog, podcast, and possibly most importantly, a small group of people passionate about providing platforms for conversations surrounding teaching and learning. This episode is the second of our Media Hopper Create series, which investigates the usefulness and stories of the University of Edinburgh's media asset management system. In last week's episode, four staff members from across the university discussed how they each individually use Media Hopper Create in their work, along with the features they find particularly helpful. I'd recommend checking that out if you haven't already. This week, the quartet reconnects to discuss their biggest tips and tricks for those interested in using Media Hopper Create, along with the challenges they faced or seen with the platform. Their conversation begins with each participant discussing their greatest tips. I think one of my tips and hints would be to think about the value of conversation for learning. So one of the things that a lot of learning theories tell us is that knowledge is created in communities in dialogic ways. And something that's incredibly valuable then for learners at any level is to see how those dialogic processes work. So rather than seeing the finished, very polished journal paper, what's actually often much more useful to learners is to hear a couple of experienced researchers talking about an existing project that's partway through and modeling how they think about it, modeling how they problem solve. So I think making use of either podcast dialogue or video dialogue would definitely be one of my hints and tips. Yeah, just to reiterate, I think, uh, just to agree, I should say, what with what Vilda was just talking about, I think the power of the dialogue is, is, is really evident too. And I think occasionally with video, there's a slight over, we don't want to make it too difficult for uh, for tutors to participate in this medium, but there's a slight over reliance on, you know, the t- the natural kind of talking head video, and and it's a single person sort of communicating to a large, you know, quote unquote mass of people. But this idea that you have two people just having a conversation about what they're passionate about, uh, or what they think the the objective to be in the activity, I think is really really important. We do a little bit of this on our program where the tutors, uh, for example, if we have a, a more multimodal kind of visual assessment strategy for the course, the two tutors for the course will go through the multimodal assignments recording their dialogue, almost as if they were walking through a gallery and having a discussion about, oh, that's interesting how they pulled that and linking it to the evaluation criteria. And it's through that dialogue, I think it's a much richer natural feedback experience just because there's two people who are able to bounce off each other. But there's also this sense of like uh, uh, feedback unfolding uh, in, in front of the student. And they tend to, to appreciate it and they tend to action it, I think, a bit more readily, at least, you know, anecdotally, a bit more readily than they would if it was a single person sort of speaking to them. So agree 100% with what Velda is saying is that dialogue in these videos, in this media, I think is a really valuable and perhaps underutilized uh, bit uh, that we can explore a little bit more as a university. I, I totally agree with uh, what you're saying there. Um, I think one of my uh, top tips would be to keep the videos nice and short and have a purpose for them. Know what you want to get out of that video. What are the learning points for that video? And keep it succinct. And I'm talking sort of 
I, I much prefer when the videos are sort of five minutes, six minutes in length. And I think from the feedback from our learners, and obviously it depends on, on, on what, what you're using them for, but the feedback from our learners is very much that they like to be able to have short snippets that they can then go back to and don't have to try and trawl through a very long sort of uh, period of recording to find that point they wanted. And I, I, I think that's really important. It also helps with the captioning. I know we've spoken about captioning before and how the automated captions are really good. However, be warned, because if someone's got an accent um, and it, it sometimes doesn't cope with Scottish accents very well. So you do have to go through and you do have to edit your captions because otherwise some controversial things might be written on the screen. And certainly from the person doing that captioning, if those videos are shorter, it makes your life a lot easier as well. But yeah, I, I, my, my big tip would be make them nice, short, succinct and keep it to the, the point that you want to get across. Yeah, I'm absolutely behind that. I think it's quite easy to think that everything you're saying is incredibly important and it must be iterated really, really well. But if you look at how people are, are using the videos in the practical world, they want to get to the important thing as quickly as possible and they want it to be over. So many people are being exposed to different media at the moment. So the podcasts that you're listening to in lockdown, the, the instructional videos you're looking at on YouTube to try and find out how to do things, you can see how you want to use things. So why wouldn't your students want to do them like that? The captions offer a really useful way to fast forward to where you need to be. If the visuals aren't giving you um, a good identification of the component you want to see then you can just skip through the captions to where you need to get to and sometimes maybe the captions are all the student is actually going to look at maybe the video is is more trouble than it's worth and the the written word can actually get them to the point but it's certainly it's worth thinking about what it is you want to get across to your student um i had quite a lot of people say right we want to make a video and i would turn up with my camera and then they would start thinking about how they wanted to get that message across and what was important to them. Whereas um, asking them to write a transcript, even if we weren't going to work from it, was a, an excellent way to get them to, to focus and think about what they really wanted to say. Ad-libbing is great. It can come across really naturally. But if you're re-recording the same thing three times in a row and you're ad-libbing each time, the editing process is is a nightmare. So think about what you want to say, target it properly at your audience and, and then go for it. And don't be scared to redo it. Um, it doesn't hurt to try things more than once. I agree very much with Brian about thinking about what you want to say and also generally with colleagues about keeping it quite brief. I picked up another tip, actually, I think from colleagues in engineering where they were getting their students to edit videos down to shorter pieces and that made me start thinking that student involvement could be actually a really good learning experience here so if we can get our students to edit bits out of videos comment on why those bits were useful to them maybe give us suggestions for other videos that they want then suddenly your students are actively involved in that co-creation process and i think that makes it easier to adapt the learning to suit diverse learners but it's also a really good way to help student engagement too. So that was, that was one tip that I was thinking about. And one other I had 
particularly coming from the educational development world I'm in, is it's a fantastic way to learn about teaching and explaining different concepts. So what I've realised when I've been interviewing academic staff recently is quite often when they're going to teach something new, they'll try and find somebody else's video about it and think about how that person explained things and got them across and whether that worked from them and what they can learn from that. So the teaching that used to be quite hidden in classrooms is sometimes becoming more visible. And although that has some challenges to it, I think it's actually also a really fantastic learning opportunity. To recap some of the participants' tips, they advise to keep your content short and succinct, take advantage of a dialogic approach, think about what you want to get across before you record, and finally consider involving fellow students and staff for a co-creative model. As a learner, I appreciate the move towards shorter videos, and I'm glad they make the caption editing process easier, though I know everyone has their own preferences. I also enjoyed the point about involving students in co-creation as a way to boost engagement. The process of editing media involves developing a deep understanding of what the presenter is trying to get across, and I'd love to learn that way as part of a course. While these tips and tricks are tremendous, as with any other tool, Media Hopper Create comes with its own set of challenges. How do we ensure the intended audience finds their way to the content? What about those uncomfortable recording videos? And how do we facilitate whose voices are being heard? The participants discuss these and more questions surrounding the challenges of using Media Hopper Create, along with some silver linings. So before before we became so heavily reliant on all of our online tools, in the tutor in the clinical skills component of the the vet degree, there was a, a heavy move towards tr trying to do more more hands-on skills and spend a bit more time learning how to how to do basic tasks and getting good at them. So the the way we did them developed, and it just so happened that that was at the same time I was working on this PTAS project. So there was a nice opportunity to develop content with the tutors who were teaching. So we, we put together a lot of videos in quite a short space of time. Everyone, after a couple of videos had been produced, understood the process that I was going through and understood what was working well. And by being heavily involved in what we were doing, they felt more invested in the, the content we were producing. They were appearing in the videos that the students were watching. So they were the faces in the classroom. So the students already had this connection with them, which was really valuable. And because they were so heavily involved, they were telling the students about them. They were making them available to the students. They were including QR codes into the, the printed handouts. So there was a heavy involvement in the staff and the content. And that, that was really valuable. And by looking at the analytics after the, the students were given the tasks, given the videos to look at, and then the exams that they had to perform, you could see huge engagement at those periods. So there was a, a big spike the week of the tutorials then it tailed off for a long period. And then before it was time for the exams, there was an, again, a huge spike. And that sense of ownership from those lectures and those videos meant that it was a really valuable teaching tool that everyone was kind of on board with. 
And I, I found that incredibly useful to go to the next group of people and say, this is, this is how this worked in this one topic. Maybe we can involve the, the same sort of experience. And when there hasn't been that student involvement or there hasn't been that lecturer involvement, we might be producing something that they are not heavily invested in and the students aren't finding their way to it. They've got so much information and there's so many different ways they can access it that uh, it, it became quite informative to just see how that process worked. I think there's a couple of key challenges that we've experienced and one of them is the tension between our learners really liking to have recorded content on Media Hopper. So they find it incredibly helpful in terms of fitting with their lives and it being valuable for people who don't have English as a first language to be able to re-listen to things and make sure they understand and stop and start and slow them down. But at the same time, I know that some of the teachers that I've worked with in university find being recorded, particularly video, quite stressful and quite intimidating. And some of them object on, I suppose, more political grounds that they worry that the recordings might be reused in other contexts, which is why we've had a whole policy set up around things like lecture recordings. So I found myself in a few conversations where, in a sense, there's been a tension between arguments about what learners want and, and inclusion for learners while not wanting to upset or exclude colleagues who feel really uncomfortable working in that way. So I think that's one of the challenges to negotiate. I think the one other challenge for me is the one around whose voices are heard. So there's been a lot said over many years about how people get heard more or less in different situations based on things like race and gender. And I think that can get magnified in the context of things that are recorded and reused because people are realizing they might at some point be seen by larger audiences and might be more permanent. So I realized that when we're recording things from groups of people and editing them, we need to think quite carefully about how we edit, whose voices are heard and how we negotiate that with the participants. So I think that's another area of challenge that takes a bit of thought and a bit of work. Um, I agree with what you're saying, Valda, especially that first point about um, sort of engaging with colleagues to uh, try and get them to agree to record their content. We often work with external uh, tutors um, who deliver our courses and often we need to, well, we obviously need to get their buy-in for what, why we want their content to be uh, recorded. And um, one of the discussions we, we have to have and sort of that sort of people are, are paying to come on our courses and we then give them this recorded content as part of that course. Should they then have access to that content forever or does that does there need to be a cap on that? And I think this is a conversation that we've that that the tutors themselves are very concerned about that they don't want their work being shared elsewhere, sort of out with the course. And 
I'm still trying to find out what the right answer to that is because, and, and it really depends on the tutor and how comfortable they are with people having access to their to their face and their you know their words um, and their nervousness of where that's going to go and and how it's going to be used in the future. So I think it's something that you really have to um, be willing to discuss and share and work out what's going to be best for your course and for your learners um, and your tutor as well. i just pick up on that, what, what Joe and Velder are saying as well. And I think, and Brian, of course, is that uh, this conversation, it's not, it's not a tick box kind of exercise too. So what works well is a very participatory thing, but understanding that at a program level or on a school level or college level, you might have a lot of disagreement about what's appropriate and who wants to be visible and uh, who's, who should be visible and who's not, obviously, as Velder was saying. The representation issue is quite important, uh, but you know I have close colleagues that have never felt comfortable being on video, and 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 that's perfectly okay, uh, on some level. And for others that might might have a little bit more, you know, a little bit less uh, reticence towards that, and that's fine as well. So it's having that conversation and understanding not everybody's going to fall on the same side of that answer. Uh, video is not necessarily for everybody, but audio can be. I mean, there are alternatives to to that. So. In terms of what works, it's just largely having that conversation, I think, at the, you know, some sort of organizational level and understanding that everybody's going to agree on a position. I was just going to say that as somebody who doesn't like being <laughs> exposed to the world, having having spent so much time doing it to other people, I felt it was only right to to kind of get myself in there and do things. And quite often it's it's a case of setting aside your your personal feelings of yourself and kind of embracing the fact that everyone else accepts you the way you are. It is a strange thing to consider yourself to be captured in recording. A lot of our lecturers will enjoy the live performance and feel quite strange about having their the recorded version. So looking back at it, they they don't have the same feeling about how they present themselves. But as a as a presenter, your students and your peers are seeing you in that same way. And it's it's actually, it's quite comforting to know that they accept you and they're very happy to listen to you the way you are. There's a, there's definitely a strangeness about broadcasting yourself to the world that certainly previous generations are, are still coming to terms with. So it's nice to know that our students are happy to be out there. Not all. I mean, certainly there is, there are very different personal feelings about being out there. I think the, the beauty of recording is that you can go back and re-record it and you can't go back and re redo a live session, but you can, you know, go back and make things better if you're not happy with the first result. One other thing that I find really useful and quite a time saver is that if you want to update something, if you know a little bit about editing and particularly if it's audio rather than video, it's possible to update and develop something without redoing the whole piece. And I think that's quite valuable because there's other parts of this work that can be a bit time consuming. So if we can use it also to sometimes take some pressure off busy colleagues then I think that's really positive. I guess then the positive would be working collaboratively is actually a really nice way to come together and to get over some of the, the concerns about quality or, or performance. 
either having having another colleague that you're producing something with and you share the burden or having someone who's willing to film you and kind of give you constructive advice as you go through. And it feels like a collaborative process more than just you staring at a camera, staring into a void. It's a, it's a much more enjoyable experience then for sure. Thank you for listening to the second episode of our Media Hopper Create series. In next week's episode, the group reunites to discuss anecdotes from using Media Hopper Create and their pitches for those thinking of using the service. Teaching Matters is brought to you by the University of Edinburgh's Institute for Academic Development. For more posts and conversations about teaching and learning, head to our blog. We'd be delighted for you to join the conversation. To do so, please email us at teachingmatters at ed.ac.uk. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider following us on Spotify or subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review. Music for today's episode was provided by Hook Sounds. Stay curious.